Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. This episode was part of Bloomberg Live's annual marquee event, The Year Ahead, and was taped with a live audience listening in, virtually, of course. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today. She's a mother, stepmother, entrepreneur, author, and globally renowned luxury handbag designer, Anya Heinmarch. Anya, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you, Malika, very much. It's great to, great to chat to you. Anya, I want to begin by talking to you about a bag that you recently designed, which is unlike any of your other bags. And it's the holster, which you designed for frontline healthcare workers here in the UK. How did that come about? Well, it was a lockdown one, as we'll refer to it. And, um, you know, we we're all doing what we were supposed to do, which is to sit at home and to, to you know, stay safe and, and do our bit. And it didn't feel quite enough. It was frustrating for all of us, I think. And I had a call from Human Gomery, who is, um, well, he's a sort of god of intensive care in, in the UK. Um, and he called up because he was um, aware of the sort of, as he referred to it, the tsunami that was coming their way in the intensive care um, wards of, of London and said that it would be really helpful if um, we could make a little um, uh, bag for, for the staff in intensive care, which he referred to as a, a holster, which is like a holster, but with a D in it, hold okay. things. And he said that it would actually really help the nursing staff because they could have their phone with them because scrubs are not very well designed, phones fall out, they've got all their passes and their coffee money and their glasses and their torches and so on. And so um, he asked if we would um, help to achieve it so that they, you know, they had their phone with them so they could check on their own kids and and, and for their own well-being really. So the lovely thing about, um, not lovely things, nothing lovely about this horrible time, but actually uh, so much was done so quickly to to pull this over the line. So from approving the fabrics, which obviously had to be a certain um, quality of fabric that could be sort of washed to a certain level for infection control to making sure it worked. everyone just collaborated incredibly quickly. And we managed to, to design this holster to actually uh, deliver them to the front line and, in fact, to raise um, quite a lot of funds to actually deliver them much further as well. So it was an amazing project um, and one that we're, we're all really proud to have done. It felt so good also for us to be able to do something. So, yeah, a special lockdown design. Lockdown design. How many of these holsters have you made? Well, a few thousand now, actually. So um, I actually can't remember the exact number. I know that we got 500 really quickly to, to Hugh to, to test and to, to trial, um, which we, we obviously funded. And then we um, made more. And we also, the, te- the Times came on board and, and there was a big fundraising campaign. So we, we managed to deliver really quite a lot. Um, and, and it's rather lovely. Not only did it really help um, the teams, but I think it felt like actually quite a nice present. You know, it meant they had all their things at the thing about a handbag for a woman is the the sense of almost comfort of having what you need it might just be your lip balm or um you know some small thing that actually makes you feel a bit better about your day and so i think the nicest thing was just the, the photographs that came through of people wearing them and not only the sort of aspect of it being a bit of a gift um but also just a comfort to them so it was a, it was a really a great pleasure to to be involved in that project 
Now, during the pandemic, you've also closed some of your stores. And you've said while closing stores can make you feel a little bit like a loser, it's important for your business. So I'm curious, how do you reconcile doing what's right for your business with what can actually hurt on a personal basis? Well, so we, we only closed stores during the pandemic because obviously we weren't allowed to have them open. We had, however, prior to that, actively been closing stores. So we, um, I sold part of the business a number of years ago and brought it back actually in 2019. Um, and I think at our peak, we probably had about 58 stores around the world and obviously our digital website. Um, and it was very apparent to me that um, in this next world, this new world, that actually an extensive sort of cookie cutter bricks and mortar presence actually pro probably wasn't the future. It didn't feel terribly modern. And certainly managing stores as far apart as in Singapore, Malaysia, Tokyo, New York, all over the world, actually in some ways um, didn't necessarily feel that authentic either. I, I didn't know all the staff in the stores. I didn't feel they necessarily had all the training and it wasn't perhaps quite the experience I wanted to give to the customer. So, um, in fact, we actively closed prior to the pandemic um, about 16 stores. And um, we uh, really are growing the business back, having bought it back, growing it out digitally, but with an exciting, I can't talk about it yet, an exciting new bricks and mortar concept that we're launching later on this year. So it's actually, it's a funny thing though, closing stores, to your point, it is, it is sort of counterintuitive. It doesn't feel like an exciting thing to do, but actually, it, I feel it strongly that for my business, not every business, for my business, it feels like the right thing to do so that we actually have less um, retail. And what we do is really special and really considered and really connected to us. And then the wider distribution, of course, can be, can be through either third party partners, but also through our own our own digital. So um, so it's a strange thing to do, but it feels really right. And actually, thank goodness we did, because actually, I'm, I'm glad we've had less stores for this particular period in this strange part of our lives in this pandemic. I know, because we're back in lockdown again, right? And stores are still closed here in, in London. Now, going back to the beginning, you founded your business when you were just 18. You were inspired by the duffel bags you saw on a trip to Italy. You come from a family of entrepreneurs. Was it just inevitable that you would start a business? <laughs> um, well, probably. I think that it's funny. I'm never sure. I'm, I'm, I always debate the nature versus nurture. I, I think there's probably a bit of both, honestly. But <laughs> I think I was someone who was very impatient in education and wanted to crack on. And it was also, it was very much Thatcher's Britain. There was a, a sense of, um, you know, you know, cutting all the red tape and, and, and really sort of fueling the entrepreneurial environment. And so many businesses were started when I was starting out. So there was, in essence, a movement, actually. It's something I think we need to really think about as we go back into recovery post this pandemic, because I really strongly believe that, that business is the engine of, of the economy and it's such a you know, huge, hugely powerful employer. And I think that a movement is what really inspires people to feel that they feel empowered to do it themselves and, and to have a go. And um, so it was very much one of those magical times where, um, you know, you thought actually they can and why couldn't, why couldn't I? And let's give it a go. So I started very young. So partly the movement, partly, of course, the perhaps my family background where every, everyone in our family has their own business. So we always laugh and say Christmas is a bit like a board meeting with everyone delivering their end of year figures, <laughs> which is really sad. Um, and so, yes, I suppose it's probably probably was inevitable. Um, and I think also for me, I, I, I am quite impatient. I want to kind of crack on and, and, and do it myself. And I think that's probably quite a, a trait of an entrepreneur, probably. I think they always think they know best, which, of course, they often don't. But <laughs> that's often the way. <laughs> your dad's had a big influence on your life, being, a, being such a successful entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about that. Does he still go give you business advice? Do you still turn to him for business advice? 
Oh, every day. He's my, he's just brilliant, my father. He's um, still on my board, been on my board all the way through. Um, and he's a very sort of savvy business brain. I, I, I call him not, more, not not my mentor, but my harshest critic in, in an affectionate way, I should add, because um, it's really useful, I think, when you have a business to have someone that you can turn to. And that might be a friend, it might be a retired business person, it might be a parent or a godparent or an uncle, but someone who will tell you the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, and will actually you know, is there with who's aligned with you or they're not trying to, to make money out of you or, or compete with you, but they just really are aligned um, to to do the very best um, for the business. And and certainly he is he is that. He's he's ruthlessly honest. Um, and and yet I can ring him up at nine o'clock at night and say I've got a concern and he will ring me up at eight in the morning and say I've been thinking about that and I think my my feeling is that that's not right. You know, he just will give me honest advice. I don't always take it, um, but uh, annoyingly mostly he is quite right. But I think anyone who's who's had um, a longer business experience than you, even and maybe it's even more important to be in a, in a different sector, is hugely useful. You know, just the focus on cash is king, just the focus on actually stepping back and seeing the bigger picture, just an objective view. You can get so caught up in the the day to day, and it, and it's very draining a business in in a really exciting way. I mean, it's sort of a bit of a a drug. It's like a great game of chess, I would think. Um, you know, every day is different. You never quite know what might land in your inbox. You never quite know what big order might come through or what project. Um, so it, it's nice also to have someone who just jogs along, just stays very focused on the bigger picture and that you can go to uh, and, and ask advice. What's the best piece of advice that I gave you? Well, probably um, cash is king for sure. But um, also he, he was so many bits of advice, my father, but just say never give up actually. And I think it's so true that with so many businesses, um, you know, you start with a shiny business card and it's all exciting and you inevitably go into the bit of the lull that's, that's sort of after the adrenaline rush of the beginning where I always call it the triangle of pain where, you know, you're fighting to get things, to get orders, you're fighting to get things made and meet minimums and you're fighting to get paid by your customers. And, you know, it's, it's really hard. And a lot of businesses are lost at that stage, I think. Um, and I think if you just don't give up, um, you actually, and, and also you morph, you know, you have to listen to what the market is telling you. And, and change and not be scared to pivot. I think that the worst of all is to sort of stick resolutely with what you, you know, was your shiny business idea. But actually, if someone's actually buying a part of the business, then actually, you know, go with it. So um, so all that sort of good advice is just comes from, from someone with years of experience. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, Anya, your bags are known for their tongue-in-cheek designs, you know, emojis and smiley faces and a bag shaped like a packet of crisps. You know, this is not the usual stuff when it comes to high-end luxury um, handbag designs. Were you ever nervous that perhaps you wouldn't be taken seriously enough because your bags are so playful? Well, in a funny way, quite the opposite, because I think when you um, when you go into a market, you need to do something that stands out. And in fact, it's one of the difficult things at the beginning because you have to do something different. And often that means quite complicated to make. Uh, and of course, you're persuading manufacturers to to do something difficult that, um, you know, not always with enormous volume at the beginning as well. So um, I think you actually, it's almost incumbent on you to actually to do something different. And one of my um, feelings always with accessories is, you know, no, no one needs another handbag, frankly. There's enough handbags in the world to, to last, other than, you know, the next four generations probably. So it's actually... What, what's the point? And, and one of the things I love is, is to put a smile on someone's face or to empower someone and make them feel confident and good. And in a way, we, we often call them sort of conversation bags. They're bags that actually are, are about, you know, expression of character or, um, uh, you know, they're just a, a bit of a conversation starter. So I think all those things, I mean, we always talk about making the everyday extraordinary, you know, making something really beautiful that um, might be something that's, that you know quite well or is quite familiar. Um, so those are some things that make me smile, as well as, I mean, we always talk about fun and function. I mean, I, I'm also obsessed with function. I mean, I, I love things to work. That is the <laughs> ultimate luxury. And I think as, as busy women, things need to work. Otherwise, actually, it's, it's, not, um, it's a bit of a fail. Um, but so, no, I think you have to stand out. I think it's actually imperative when you start. And that, there's lots of different ways to approach that. For mine was, for me, it was always about putting a smile on people's faces and having something that you wanted to keep and collect. Talking about standing out, back in 2007, you launched an iconic bag, and it was called I'm Not a Plastic Bag. It was a canvas tote, and people lined up for hours outside your stores to get their hands on one of these bags. And this was really before the fashion industry had turned their attention towards sustainability. This was early days for you know sustainability conversation within the fashion world. So what prompted you to launch this bag back then? Well, I, like everyone else, I think was hearing the word environment, environment and the concerns, um, you know, and the fact that we need to all sit up and, and take note that we had a big problem. Um, and yet, actually, as an individual, I, I couldn't work out what I could do to make a difference apart from recycle properly and try and make sort of sensible decisions. Um, and we were approached by an organization called We Are What We Do, which was a social change movement um, who had brought out a book called Change the World for a Fiber, in which there were 40 actions. And the first action was wherever possible, refuse plastic bags. And they asked if we would help to amplify the message. Um, and I had a bit of a light bulb moment thinking, actually, yes, I can do that. I can use the platform of fashion and, and indeed the sort of it bag formula of, of the day, which is sort of something I particularly hated, but, you know, which is about scarcity, about being on the right arms and, and, and making a bit of a buzz about something to make everyone actually sit up and, and think and take notes. So really the, the project was, was, or the aim, if you like, was awareness. Um, and so we went about making a bag, which was a reusable bag, um, and quite simply came up with the logo, which said, I am not a plastic bag to, to sort of generate awareness and attention to that message. Um, and we worked with some of the most amazing stores in the world. And we also worked with the supermarkets. I wanted to take you know, the, the project right back to the coalface. Um, and we worked with Sainsbury's, who are amazing. And in fact, in the US with Whole Foods and Hong Kong and Japan, various different um, uh, supermarkets all over the world. Um, and the project um, 
really, I mean, went mad as the only way to describe it. In the UK, 8,000 people queued up uh, in one day for the bag, uh, and it went on and rolled and rolled. In fact, in the end, tragically, 30 people went to hospital in Taiwan. So, of course, at that moment, we stopped the project. But I think the point was that awareness it got uh, and in fact, it it also um, achieved and made a difference. So we we the, I think the number of single-use plastic bags in the UK prior to the project was something like nine point something billion, and in fact after the project was about six. And 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 subsequently also of course then governments um, started introducing taxes for for plastic bags and charging for plastic bags. So I, I strongly feel the project made a difference, and that was that was really exciting. And um, I think every line on my face was to do with that project. It was a very um, intense. <laughs> Intense time, um, so but it was it was good and and we felt very proud of, of the project. And now you've gone full circle and created a new bag which says I am a plastic bag and it's made out of recycled plastic. What do you think the fashion industry and the design industry needs to do to really take another step and to really create a circular economy which minimizes waste? Because the fashion industry is one of the most polluting industries in the world. Well, the reason we came up with this bag really was, I mean, the, the original bag I just spoke about was 2007. And here we are in now in 2001. But when we launched I Am a Plastic Bag, it was 2020, that special year. Um, and, um, and and it was really obvious to me that the problem was was far from solved. And and yet it's just ridiculous that we can't solve this problem. And yet the the, the discussion and, and the, 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 the problem has really moved to, to one of um, circularity. How can we keep the, I think it's the 8 billion tons of plastic that's already on the planet uh, in circulation so that we we use it for a long time and then we use it again rather than put it into landfill. So just literally keeping it in circulation. And so we wanted to to highlight that by bringing out I Am A Plastic Bag, which is made, each bag is made from 32 half litre plastic bottles. Um, and in fact, um, we we worked for two years on this amazing fabric that behaves so much like a beautiful cotton drill with the way that we designed it, that actually it was getting dirty. So we managed to find a coating which was also recycled which was we extracted from the the, the pvb it's called the plastic which goes between glass and windscreens and cars to stop it shattering to, to repurpose that to make a coating on the back so it was a fascinating project um and what was interesting sorry to say but we actually i really wanted to make people see what's going on so we actually closed all of our stores for fashion week and filled them to the brim as if they were full of water with um uh 90,000 used plastic bottles to show people what eight minutes of landfill looks like because I think if you're connected to a problem actually start to realize sort of how disgusting it is and and I think it was it was sort of part art installation and part sort of protest really in a way and quite shocking for people to see so the project was really really interesting and, and has really I hope continued the conversation which is so important about circularity of materials and using recycled fabrics and um and, and opening the conversations, because to your questions, I will get there. But what does the, the fashion industry need to do? Well, it needs to do whatever it can, honestly. And I think the easiest thing uh, is to obviously look at Air Mars, look at how we're moving products. There's a million things in, in every aspect of our business. So we've been looking at how all of our packaging, is it um, FSC certified? You know, are we doing excess packaging? Uh, what is the best way to move our goods? Um, you know, what is the best? what are the best materials? And there's some very interesting new materials that are coming up that are now easier to work with, easier to find, less minimums. Um, and so the more you demand of your supply chain, the more your supply chain delivers. So it's really about just chipping off at every single um, point, um, better ways of doing things. And, and we, we, we find that a really exciting challenge, actually. So we're just doing whatever we can, wherever we can. 
Anya, we have a question from the audience. Someone wants to know, what was it like dressing Princess Diana? <laughs> uh, well, it was obviously a great honor. And um, and she would pop into the store, my first ever store in Walton Street, um, without uh, any bodyguards, just on her own. And of course, it's always funny when someone that well-known to you, um, who, who you have arrives mm-hmm. in your store and you feel like your best friends just arrived because you know her face so intimately. Um, but she was... Right. <laughs> she was very, very lovely. And we would make lots of things for her, for all her various different events. Uh, and probably rather famously made the, what she used to refer to as her cleavage bag, which was the bag she would use to sort of protect her modesty when she would get right. out of the car. So it was a very great honor. And, um, and yes, what, a, what an amazing woman and, and fashion icon, actually. Incredible icon for fashion for, for the UK. And there's increasing scrutiny over the lack of diversity in high fashion. And I want to talk to you about this recent Vogue cover, which featured uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And there was a fair amount of controversy over it, with some people saying that, you know, um, we don't really know how to light a woman of, uh, of darker colored skin. What else does the fashion industry need to do, you are a non-executive director of the British Fashion Council. How would you like to see the fashion industry become more inclusive? Well, it just needs to be completely inclusive. I mean, how can a business be relevant if it doesn't include everyone who could be a customer for starters? And, 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 and I mean, it's just so obvious. And we all know the feeling in our lives, in some aspect of our lives, of, of not being included. I mean, that might be, you know, at school, you know, there might be five minutes, you know, of, of feeling excluded and how horrible that feels. So it, it's just absolute common sense. It's the right thing for business. It's the right thing for humanity. It's it's just the only proper way to behave. And for me, it's so natural that I, I'm frankly astonished that it's that it's such a big problem. And it is a big problem. It really is. Um, and it, it's interesting because I spent most of my working life discussing endlessly ad infinitum about, about women in the workplace and, and how, you know, in a way that's um, an issue of, of, of uh, you know, not being included and, and um, trying to have, you know, equality and, and, it, and you know, still even that conversation is not completely, um, you know, sorted. And, and of course, diversity is, is, is even more important. I mean, how can the colour of your skin make any difference? It's ridiculous. So um, I think everyone is, is very aware. And I think that um, it's something that's, should be completely natural. Sometimes, however, um, through circumstances, you have to, you know, in the same way that the 20% club, was it 30% club, sorry, for, for women, sometimes you have to sort of shunt these, these things to make them happen because inevitably you end up, for example, in a boardroom that was perhaps all male and, and white, um, that if you go in as a woman and maybe not even a white woman, you know, you feel, you know, you don't feel part of the club. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, all the jokes might be about golf or, or football and it's hard to, 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 so you have to sort of, I think, actually sometimes force those situations to change for then women to feel more comfortable. Uh, and then in turn, of course, for, for role models to emerge, which indeed, as we were talking earlier about business empowerment and, and business momentum, um, we, we need to um, uh, allow, uh, you know, the next generation to feel that they could do it too through previous examples. So it's a no brainer. And you know what? I think it's happening. It needs to happen in a in a fast and furious way. It needs to happen also in a gentle way um, that's appropriate. Um, and they, that's a very fine balance. But it needs a bit of a shunt, I think, probably. Uh, and it's something I think anyone uh, running a business or or in any situation of any life actually is, is thinking about a lot, quite rightly. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to look ahead. You have a book coming out this summer, and it's got a fantastic name. When in doubt, wash your hair. So, what's the book about? And uh, tell me about your thinking behind the title. 
Well, I, I was just really wanting to write a very honest book because so often I will, you know, chat to women or, you know, do a talk and, and talking about what I do work-wise and so on. And, and actually it's often the, the questions and the chats I have with women um, on, on the sort of the other side of my life, which is, you know, how you juggle being a mum, you know, how you are a woman in, in the, the sort of workplace, how you, uh, I'm a, a mother, I'm also a stepmother, um, how you sort of blend families, how you juggle, you know, running a business and doing your Christmas shopping. I mean, it's the most basic of, of, of things. But I think often those are the bits that, um, first of all, that I, I, I do and often don't do terribly well, that when you're really honest, they really were, were resonating actually with women. And, and um, I just felt I just wanted to write it all down, really um, to be honest to be almost written as a mother to a daughter or perhaps as a friend to a friend um, and to, to be kind just to say you know what this is what I struggle with this is what I still struggle with just because I think the more open and honest people are women are perhaps especially uh, and especially I think there's this element of um, this what I refer to as the transition generation where um, you know I have the the, the um, if you like the role model of my mother in my head who was very much the homemaker and 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 um, the, the mother who, who did all the sort of more what I traditionally the female tasks and yet I work as hard as my father and it's very hard to square that circle because of course you can't without something having to give that you know ends up being you and 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 your 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 sanity and your exhaustion and your your health and so on so I just wanted to really write down my thoughts on that and um, so often people say what's your best bit of advice um, you know, for a working mother or, or, or a busy woman. And, and I always rather jokingly say, if in doubt, wash your hair. But I think the important thing <laughs> in that is not only look after yourself, but it's also talking about doubt, because I think women do suffer doubt. Um, I think everyone suffers doubt and no one's terribly honest about it. So I wanted to be really honest about my journey. And um, in fact, it's made me suffer quite a lot of doubt writing it down because it's, it's scary being that. <laughs> I just wanted to, to put it down. So yes, it's coming out in May. And um, and and I'm excited actually just to be really. I mean, it is literally like sort of open book, as they say. But I think it's uh, it's good that people are honest. Well, I believe one of the ways you manage is because you are a compulsive list maker, and I believe you even have a list for your funeral. <laughs> well, that makes me sound like a total weirdo. Thanks, Malika. Um, I am a <laughs> list maker. I mean, I think being organised. It's interesting as a creative. I mean, obviously, I run a business, so I, I, I'm a businesswoman, but I also am a creative because that's what I do. Um, and I, I think you can't even be a creative without being organised. And so a list maker, uh, being a list maker for me is, is just a very practical way of, of getting my um, my actions that I need to achieve in whichever time frame it may be, in whichever department of my life it needs to be uh, organised so that I can I can run my life. So I, I, I spend my life defending being a bit of a nerd, but actually I, I think I should be proud about the fact that, that there's, a, there's organisational skills that that get me through. Um, so, yes, I am absolutely a list maker. I, my favourite present ever was a label machine. I would label everything in my life if I could, including my children probably, um, if they allowed me. Because it makes me feel control when I'm in control when I'm not in control. I think that's probably the point. Um, but, uh, yes, to my funeral, <laughs> that's a bit sad, but I'm, I'm crazy about uh, music. I, I love, love um music especially choral music and so I was laughing my husband said yeah. I would feel desperate if he organized my funeral and, and got the musical wrong so as a joke I, I I wrote down all the music I want at my funeral and, and uh, I shared it with him so let's see if he if he if he's proud <laughs> I know we have some more questions coming in from the audience how do you beat fast fashion trends particularly for the younger segment of the market who perhaps can't afford the higher prices that come with sustainable products um well, so I think I don't try, I don't tend to respond to fashion trends terribly. I mean, I, I like to make things that um, you can pass down to the next generation. I like to make things that last, that of course, 
can be very relevant now, but don't feel, you know, of a season so that next season they, they don't make sense. For me, that feels that feels wrong. Actually, it feels um, completely wrong, especially wrong um, now. Um, so I don't really tend to to worry about fashion. I actually work out what I want myself, what I what I need. And often I am my own harshest critic, actually, in terms of, you know, I, I was a woman that was traveling endlessly and um, and trying to manage very busy days and actually what works or what makes me feel great or what puts a smile on my face? What makes me smile with my eyes and make me feel? What makes me feel confident and, and my, my the best version of myself? So that's really where I start, and that might be something really practical. Um, so, for example, you know, I'm noticing a lot of people are are, are cycling instead of um, get, you know public transport these days. So it might be the perfect cycling backpack that just is a really beautiful thing, or it might be a, a lovely way of carrying what we now need to carry, which is our hand sanitizer and our masks and all the stuff, the paraphernalia for personal sort of PPE. Uh, so it might be just a really lovely little sort of bag that takes all of that and just makes you feel super organized. So for me, it's about it's about sort of fun and function. Um, and uh, and that's where I start. I, I think, of course, um, fast fashion generally can be unbelievably wasteful. I think that even that term, that, that and disposable are two, two terms that I think we should we should banish from the vocabulary, really, to be honest. We began by talking about the holster, and I want to go back to that because someone wants to know. I work for the NHS, and I love the holster bag idea. Will you continue to make bags, especially for this sector, and how do I get one? <laughs> so, well, we've been inundated with everyone, including dentists and all sorts of all sorts of um, aspects of, of the um, segments of the medical world. So, we've actually set up a Webster, which uh, a website which is called Holster.com, I think. So, people can um, we we can distribute more. We've we've got still got some that are being funded through donations and then people can also order them there if you want so so they are available and and, and that's it's a really nice thing to do to kind of get those wider so all sorts of we obviously did them for the intensive care units but other people have asked to buy them so we, we're managing to get some to to um to provide as well and one more question from me what's your favorite thing to do when you're out of office <laughs> uh, well, it's always my kitchen table and a roast chicken and probably a glass of wine and 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 my my family. Really, that's my favourite thing. I'm 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 not a tada red carpet sort of. Um, you know, I quite like the sort of the simple things and and good friends and um, and just kind of regrouping. Really, that that's my favourite thing. And, and definitely the glass of wine. <laughs> definitely the glass of wine. Absolutely, Anya Haimash. Thank you so much for joining us on Out of Office. Thank you. Thank you very much. And remember, you can find out, find more episodes of Out of Office. We are on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on the Bloomberg ter Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. Thank you for watching and stay well. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.